Hello and welcome to episode 319 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. How was Christmas? Had a good time? Good stuff. Okay, so today's story is about a feud. A violent feud where people just weren't able to move on with their lives, instead insisting that their own form of revenge had to be taken. Maybe you feel this is absolutely correct, it's the right way to do things. Or maybe you take the view that this behaviour should be left in the school playground. But either way, today's story from Belfast is a devastating account of so many lives being ruined. Today's episode is brought to you from Vital. It's that time of year again, isn't it? It's cold outside and everyone seems to be getting a bit ill and we're all thinking about those Christmas overindulgences. You might be starting, like me, to think about your January health kick. Are you considering supplements but not sure where to start? After all, there's so much conflicting information out there. Or maybe you've tried supplements before but you haven't noticed a difference. Vital, a personalised supplement company, removes this choice by helping you find the right vitamins for you. Just fill in a short online consultation about your diet, your health goals and your lifestyle and Vital will create a tailor-made pack just for you. Your personalised yellow pack of vitamins gets delivered straight through your letterbox with daily strips so you can't forget to take them. Plus, your name is written on each pack. The best thing is Vital supplements are designed by leading experts and backed by science. Unlike many brands, Vital's vitamins are of the highest quality and are made with only clean, natural ingredients. There are no nasties there, which helps increase the absorption of these vitamins in your body so you know you are getting the highest quality vitamins designed just for you. To get a free two-week trial of personalized vitamins, just head to vital.com, that's spelt V-I-T-L dot com, and use the code CRIME at checkout. That is V-I-T-L dot com, and use the code CRIME for your two-week trial of personalized vitamins. Let's quickly set some context for today's story and it's your last chance of the year to guess correctly. Number one in the UK charts was seven years from Lucas Graham. Frankly, I just hope I don't have the misfortune to hear it for at least another seven years. Top of the UK charts was friend of the show, The Bieber, with the Ronaldo meets Piers Morgan song, It Was Love Yourself. And in Australia, the top album was Molly, Do Yourself a Favour from various artists. Nope, me neither. In the news this month, Myanmar's first freely elected parliament in 50 years had its opening session. The likeable, humble, modest and tall former French president, Nicolas Sarkozy, was placed under investigation for campaign fund allegations. This month saw the tragic death of up-and-coming British band Viola Beach and their manager in a terrible, terrible car accident in Sweden. If you haven't listened to their material, download some today. You really won't be disappointed. And in UK true crime news, the High Court gave permission for Lord DeLucan to be declared dead and for a death certificate to be issued 42 years after his disappearance following the murder of 22-year-old nanny Sandra Rivell. In an interview about this news, Elvis was said to be gutted. Did you guess the month and year? It was February 2016. 
Of course it was. Today's story is from Belfast in Northern Ireland. When at 10.45pm, during the evening of the 2nd of February 2016, the 999 call came through. It was a call that the operator would never forget. The man said he was 29-year-old Stephen Carson. He lived in Walmer Street in the south of Belfast with his fiancée and nine-year-old son. He was calling from the downstairs toilet of his house. He said, hurry up please, there are two people in my house trying to get me. Quick, quick, hurry up. Then there was silence. Police officers and paramedics rushed to Stephen's house, where one of the first responders later described the chaotic scenes found there, where she was met by Stephen's partner. She screamed that they'd shot him. She was screaming and hysterical when we went into the house, and she was very, very frightened. Another police officer recalled finding the couple's dog sitting next to the body of Stephen Carson in the downstairs bathroom where he'd been fatally shot. They described the terribly disturbing scene in the bathroom where Stephen Carson lay dead and his loyal dog sat with him, covered in blood and bodily matter. Stephen Carson, the father of two, had been having dinner with his partner and nine-year-old son when at least three men carrying a hammer and a shotgun burst into the house. They searched for him throughout the house until they caught him in the downstairs bathroom and shot him through the door. His 28-year-old fiance, who I won't name in this podcast today, told detectives how she knew something was wrong after she saw Stephen lying in the downstairs bathroom following a loud bang. She told how she desperately tried to stop the men breaking into her house as she and her terrified nine-year-old boy were sitting on the living room settee when the front door was booted open. She said, When the first person came in, I'd seen another couple of people behind him. There were two in the hallway and one in the garden. She told how the first man in the living room told her and the boy to fuck up and kept asking, where is he? Where is the fucking tout? Adam here. As I understand it, tout in this community means a grass. She continued that she had some substance sprayed in her face as the men kept asking her where Stephen was. The young boy indicated finally towards the kitchen area upon when one of the men pulled what like a real gun out of his pocket, pointing it at the woman and the boy. Then the first man went to the downstairs bathroom and there was a loud bang. And on returning to the living room, the gunman put the gun back into his coat and the men left through the door. Stephen's fiance said, I checked the back door because I thought Stephen might have got out of the back door. But he didn't. The door was still locked. I tried to open the back door. I couldn't open it. Then I turned my head and I saw him lying there. She could see his legs in the bathroom first and then she had to force the door due to the way he was lying. Stephen's fiance knew immediately there was something wrong, saying, he made a grunting noise. I knew something was terribly wrong. She told how she and Stephen had briefly dated in their teens before going their separate ways and had been together for around five years before his murder. She revealed they got engaged on Valentine's Day in 2016, just days before he was killed. When asked if she knew anyone who may wish to hurt Stephen, she was certain that she knew the two men who had killed him and she knew the reason why. She told detectives that Stephen had been afraid for his life since a violent incident back in 2010 
and two men, Michael Spud Smith and David D.D. Smith, had wanted Stephen dead. In the days before he was murdered, he'd expressed concerns for his safety after he'd seen David Smith in his neighbourhood. On the night in question, she said, Michael was the one that shot him and David was the one that grabbed my arm, covered my mouth and pepper sprayed me. So just what was this incident that had taken place in 2010 that led Stephen's fiance to believe that the two named men were responsible for his murder? When she was asked by detectives, she said, Stephen told me about an argument that happened in Turf Lodge. He never told me about what happened, but he said that Spud was involved in the argument and told me if anything was going to happen to him, that's who it would be. When pushed on exactly what had happened that day, she said that Stephen and two of his friends were involved in a fight and that Michael Smith sustained an injury but said that he didn't tell her much else as Stephen didn't want me involved in anything. From comments that Stephen Carson had made publicly to the Belfast Media Group the October before he died, when he'd just been released from prison, where he'd served two and a half years for robbery, Stephen was very aware that there were threats against him. He's quoted as saying, I've just been released from McGilligan Prison. Just before I was getting out, the prison liaison officer told me that a threat against my life had been received. I don't know why or where this is coming from, and all I want is to get on with my life, get back on my feet. I can't even stay with my mum. I'm staying with a friend, keeping my head down as everything now is put on hold. I can't go nowhere. I can't see my kids. I just want to ask those behind the threat to make themselves known to come forward. Stephen knew that any threats made to his life had to be taken incredibly seriously, as he had before been shot at his home back in 2013. Stephen's distraught mum said, If these people want to shoot Stephen, then they will have to shoot me as well. We can't just sit back and wait on them coming to the door or getting Stephen in the street. Stephen broke into houses and that's bad enough. I don't condone what he did and I never went near him all the time he was in jail. I was so angry at him. But I don't think that's something to kill you for. Stephen then spoke about the incident at Turf Lodge that his fiance had referred to. He said, There was an altercation in Turf Lodge a few years back, and maybe this is where all of this is coming from. Now, I'm going to use my words very carefully about what actually happened in Turf Lodge in 2010. In fact, rather than me clumsily try, let me quote a barrister in a criminal case who talks of the incident in a trial in court. Back in 2010, Michael Smith himself was involved in an altercation and taken to hospital with a serious injury to his arm caused by a samurai sword. Police investigating that attack went to a house in West Belfast where up to seven men were arrested, including Stephen Carson. While in hospital at the time, Smith allegedly declined to make a statement of complaint, telling officers, they are of no use to me inside, with police taking that to mean he had his own plans for those responsible for threatening him. If you look for reports of what happened at Turf Lodge, there are a few, but the basic things that I think it can be agreed upon without understanding the reasons why it happened or exactly who was involved in what form, there was a up to two hour fight at Turf Lodge with a number of people taking part brawling. 
Michael Smith was clearly a prime suspect and detectives immediately swooped on him and he was arrested a day after the killing at the address of his cousin Francis where police found weapons and ammunition including a shotgun that was forensically confirmed as being used in the killing in a holdall in a wardrobe. Detectives also connected a car scene in the area to David Smith, his cousin, and tracked the three men as being in the vicinity of Stephen Carson's house due to their mobile phone records on the night in question. Michael Smith was also picked out as the gunman at an ID parade by Stephen's fiancée. All this was enough for detectives, and as well as 39-year-old Michael Smith, they believed that his two cousins, 35-year-old David Smith, and 42-year-old Francis Smith were the men at Stephen Carson's house on the evening he was killed and all three were charged with murder. At the trial, the barrister opened proceedings by saying, Police believe the murder has all the hallmarks of a feud going on for some time and described a carefully planned and executed killing and the feud was due to the injuries that Michael Smith had picked up with the samurai sword in 2010. But the QCs for the defence did not see the case in the same way. David Smith's barrister didn't agree with the Crown's claim of an assassination. Instead, he said the killing was not a particularly professional exercise. He told how David Smith has suffered very badly with drug addiction throughout his adult life and has enduring psychological problems, which has led to a chaotic lifestyle. Michael Smith's barrister felt similar, saying he didn't agree that the murder was an assassination or a contract killing. This was anything but professional. It was wholly amateurish. And Francis Smith's barrister spoke about his client's drink problem, saying he used to consume up to 100 units a week. But he said clearly and happily that is no longer the case. Michael and Francis Smith didn't answer questions when arrested and chose not to give evidence in court. David Smith, on the other hand, did, and his barrister encouraged the jury to acquit David Smith as he provided, he said, an explanation of where he was at the time of the murder. He was drinking in his flat with friends after getting into a fight earlier that night with a man at a nearby house. The animosity between the families in the public gallery bubbled over on more than one occasion. Emotions were understandably running high. Before the jury was brought back to court to deliver their verdicts at the end of the month-long trial, the judge addressed the families and friends of both Stephen Carson and the Smiths as they sat in the public gallery, divided by police officers. The judge warned that any outbursts would not be tolerated and would prompt him to clear the court. Two men, cousins Michael Spud Smith and David D.D. Smith, were found guilty of murdering Stephen Carson while Michael Smith was also found guilty of possessing a sawn-off shotgun with intent to commit murder. Both men were handed life sentences following their unanimous verdicts and told they would serve at least 20 years in prison. The cousins shook hands in the dock and then turned to the public gallery, waved and gave the thumbs up, to which someone shouted, Upwards and onwards! Francis Smith, who the jury was ordered to acquit by direction of the judge on the murder charge, was then convicted of four offences arising from Stephen Carson's killing. These charges included assisting offenders by allowing his premises to be used for the storing of firearms and ammunition used in the course of the killing, 
and also possessing both the shotgun and ammunition in suspicious circumstances. After the jury of seven men and five women returned the unanimously guilty verdicts, the judge thanked them for their duty during the trial, which he said was lengthy, harrowing and one fraught with a lot of emotion. It was revealed that Michael and David Smith had significant criminal records, with Michael Smith having 168 previous convictions and David Smith 28. The judge described the murder as an execution with chilling and clinical efficiency and said, I'm in no doubt it has characteristics akin to a gangland execution. This was a cold-blooded, pre-planned murder set in the context of a long-running vendetta against the deceased and his family. The judge said the men had travelled from West Belfast to where Stephen Carson lived with one thought and one intention in mind, namely to kill Mr Carson. Many eyes were on the public gallery and as the first verdict of guilty was announced, Stephen's mum and fiancé began to sob. The mood was sombre yet quiet as the other verdicts were announced. But when proceedings were complete and the judge and jury left the court, and as the three Smith cousins were being handcuffed and led from the dock, the families of Stephen and the Smiths became involved in an argument that quickly became heated and they had to be kept apart by police officers. Speaking about the case, Detective Chief Inspector Pete McKenna said, This was a callous, brutal murder and I welcome today's sentencing. Stephen Carson was at home with his fiancée and nine-year-old son when three men burst in carrying a hammer and a shotgun. These thugs confronted the young child and Stephen's fiancée, who they sprayed with a pepper-type spray. Stephen was in the kitchen and ran the bathroom to phone the police. At this point, one of these males, who I believe to be Michael Smith, fired a fatal shot through the door, hitting Stephen in the head. This was a premeditated murder, with the perpetrators leaving no forensic evidence, yet these men were still put before the courts as a result of the complex, multifaceted police investigation carried out by detectives. I would like to pay tribute to Stephen's family for their dignity, courage and unwavering commitment to seeing justice done for their loved one. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their home. And Stephen's murder was brutal and cold-blooded, carried out by extremely dangerous men who appeared to show no remorse for their actions. Stephen's son and fiancé have been left extremely traumatised by this incident and their lives will never be the same again. The community is now a safer place with these men removed from our streets. Now, Stephen Carson was not the only man involved in the Turf Lodge incident in 2010 who'd been murdered. Another man who'd been present was Stephen's good friend, 26-year-old Kieran McManus, who was murdered in Belfast three years later, in 2013. Father of one, Kieran, was working as a Domino's pizza delivery driver when he was murdered outside a West Belfast pizza takeaway restaurant on the 30th of March 2013. It was just another normal night. He had just placed some pizzas in the back of his vehicle when he was shot twice in the back as he stood by his car. It was around 11.15pm when the shooting took place and there were three other people in Kieran's Passat when he was killed, including his half-brother, who later told the inquest how the gunman, who'd been wearing a balaclava, I heard him say, All right, Kieran. 
I got the impression that Kieran knew the voice. I could see the shock in his face. He didn't get to say anything before he was shot in the back. The gunman then fled the scene in a stolen, dark-coloured Vauxhall Astra. Kieran was rushed to the Royal Victoria Hospital, but he had suffered such severe injuries that he was pronounced dead at close to midnight. Kieran's half-brother told how Kieran had told him how he'd been approached by an individual who informed him that two other individuals were going to come and see him. I think Kieran thought it was a threat, he continued. When Kieran had asked this person if it was a threat, he was told ominously, they'll see you when they see you. The brawl at Turf Lodge had a massive effect on Kieran's life even before his death. His family home was petrol bombed in the weeks afterwards, forcing the family to flee elsewhere in Belfast, where just a few weeks later, a car was burnt out outside his mum's home. The coroner at the inquest was told of a confrontation on Father's Day the year before Kieran was killed, when Kieran was set upon in the car park of a restaurant in West Belfast whilst out with his cousin and friends. His cousin said somebody had recognised a fella that was in the bar as being connected to the victim of a sword attack that Kieran was involved in. We decided to save bother, we would leave and get taxis home. But before they could, six to nine men from Turf Lodge tried to attack Kieran with his cousin standing in front of him trying to protect him until the cousin himself was stabbed with a broken bottle. Kieran got stabbed in the head before the group were able to make their escape. Kieran was a qualified youth worker and depending on who you listen to, he was either a huge troublemaker involved in crime and antisocial behaviour or completely innocent. As one friend said, the only thing anyone had on Kieran was what happened in the streets of Turf Lodge three years ago. There was no feud. He was only backing his brother up, protecting him, and now he is being killed. People are saying that Kieran terrorised this community, but he was on curfew for the past few years, so how could he have done that? He was at home every night for 9pm. His family was terrorised, and he was terrorised, and now he's being killed. It's just so sad. Nobody has ever faced trial for Kieran's murder. The inquest into his death took place in 2019 and it was there that it was revealed that the firearm used in the murder of Stephen Carson in 2016 could not be conclusively linked to the killing of Kieran three years earlier or it couldn't be ruled out either. The coroner heard that the well-resourced police team had done all they felt they possibly could to find the man responsible for killing Kieran. The police officer confirmed a number of suspects, including Michael Smith, who we heard about earlier, had been interviewed but not charged in connection to the investigation, which he stressed remains live. Neil Fox, a solicitor representing the McManus family, said they'd been left very upset and frustrated that no one has been charged with a killing more than six years later. At the end of the inquest, the coroner concluded that Kieran McManus died rapidly from two shotgun blasts fired at his back from close range. Speaking directly to Kieran's mum, Sally, he said, I do hope it has been of some benefit to you and your family to have heard the inquest and this evidence in public. It has perhaps brought some degree of closure, although I appreciate that full closure will never be the case as a family. Outside the court, Kieran's mum, Sally, spoke. I'm just glad that the inquest is over. 
and I would like if anybody has any information out there to come forward. We will get justice for him. We're not going to give up on him. She said the inquest had told the whole truth. He was always a gentleman, she said. He didn't deserve to die. It was just a pack of cowards that done it. They couldn't face him. That's why they shot him in the back. said that Kieran's 12-year-old son remained traumatised by his dad's murder six years on. He's still fretting and it's terrible. It's messed his whole head up, she said. Finally, in October 2019, the appeals of Michael Smith and David Smith against their conviction for the murder of Stephen Carson were thrown out. They remain in prison today. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Whether the deaths of Stephen Carson and Kieran McManus were directly due to the violent incident in Turf Lodge in 2010, we can never say for sure, although many have no doubt at all that they both were. However, what we can be sure of is that both men were targeted, they were executed, weren't they, in reality, in front of their families. I was particularly struck by the words said at Stephen Carson's funeral. When Father Brendan Smythe told mourners there was no justification for his killing. Life is so cheap that it can be snuffed out in the blink of an eye or by the pulling of a trigger, he said. There is no justification for treating life in such a way. I think that whatever else we believe in and whatever other allegiances we believe matter to us, none are more important than the words of Father Smythe. And due to the two murders we've covered today, many lives have been destroyed. And at the Christmas that you have just enjoyed, three children had an empty space at the table where their dad should have been sitting. And for what? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of a UK true crime, please join 85,000 of us at the UK True Crime Facebook group. It's many things, it's never dull. And to support the show, why wouldn't you? Please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Okay, so that's all for me for another week and for 2022. I appreciate what a tough year it's been for so many of you. And although 2023 is already looking challenging, I so hope that for you and your family, better times do lie ahead. So on that bombshell, until we speak again next week, please do take it easy, and despite the others, do stay classy. Especially in the hours after midnight on New Year's Eve, when it seems to become more difficult by the minute to keep it classy. You know just what I mean. Okay, I'll speak to you next week. Cheerio for now.